Of course, Psalm 23, one of the most well-known, one of the most beloved portions of Scripture in all the Word of God. Uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 are called a trilogy of Messianic Psalms uh, related to our past, present, and future. As people, we tend to have three areas of concern. Uh, We have concerns about our past with all our failures and shortcomings. We have concerns about our present with its uh, challenges and difficulties. And sometimes people have concerns about the future. Well, in this trilogy of Psalm 22, 23, and 24, all of these concerns are addressed. We might uh, summarize it as I have on the overhead here. Uh, Psalm 22, the Savior's cross work answers to our past, also our present and future, but our past. Uh, Psalm 23, the shepherd's crook answers to our present. And then Psalm 24, the, the sovereign's crown answers to our future. In Psalm 22, we have the, the good shepherd giving his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, uh, the chief shepherd in resurrection life guides his people on our pilgrim journey through life. And then Psalm 24 presents the great shepherd coming again as the king of glory, empowering glory to bring in everlasting blessing. Well, tonight we want to look at Psalm 23, the shepherding psalm, which is a precious psalm. Uh, David is the human author of Psalm 23 in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, 29 and 30. David is said to be a prophet. Psalm 23 describes the Lord as the shepherd of God's people, which anticipates the coming of Jesus, who in the New Testament is spoken of as the shepherd of God's people. So, in fact, this emphasis comes through repeatedly in the New Testament. Uh, Christ is said to be the good shepherd in John chapter 10, the great shepherd, Hebrews chapter 13, and the chief shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5. So the linkage here with the Lord is my shepherd and Jesus being the shepherd is very strong. That's why we uh, link it in here uh, with the Messianic Psalms. So Psalm 23 depicts the Lord in the imagery of a shepherd. And this was very uh, apropos for David, who was a shepherd before he was ever the king. Uh, This is a familiar symbol for God in the scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, as well as the New Testament as applied to Jesus. So let's pick it up. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. To start with, note a couple of obvious points. Sometimes the obvious points are ones we really kind of need to camp on for a little bit. To start with, uh, if the Lord is the shepherd of his people and Jesus claims to be the shepherd of God's people, then Jesus must be Lord, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Who who is this Lord who is our shepherd? Uh, Well, Jesus specifically is designated as the shepherd of the sheep in the New Testament. Second, to say the Lord is my shepherd is to say that you are his sheep. The imagery of the Lord being our shepherd is one of care. That's what the shepherds do. They care for the sheep. He cares for all of our needs. However, the imagery of us being sheep is not really that flattering. Uh, You see, sheep are some of the most helpless creatures that God created. Uh, Their bite is not dangerous. They have no sharp claws or fangs. They can't run fast. They can't camouflage their appearance. 
And I really don't think that they're all that attractive either, except for the little ones. Uh, they have no specific odor to ward off predators, no venom to strike back with, no horns, no needles. You know, sheep are basically totally defenseless. What do they got going for them? I'll tell you what they have going for them. A shepherd. They need a shepherd. And they are, for lack of a better word, dumb. Sheep are dumb. They, they are not really smart creatures. And they are followers. They will follow another dumb sheep right over the cliff. Sheep desperately need care. They desperately need a shepherd. Left to themselves, they will not survive long. Thus, the word sheep is very a very appropriate metaphor for God's people. For people. We are totally dependent upon our shepherding Lord. So David begins with the Lord is my shepherd. Lord is Yahweh here, the most sacred name for God in the Old Testament scriptures. It's the covenant name for God, indicating his unchanging faithfulness. Our divine shepherd is totally faithful. And he can be fully counted upon. But note that little word, my, in my shepherd. That little word, my, makes all the difference. You see, this isn't for everybody. Everybody can't claim this psalm. I mean, they read it at almost every funeral, but it you know, can't be applied everywhere. Everything hinges on that personal pronoun, my. It only applies to those who have a personal relationship with the Lord as my shepherd. Uh, Jesus made the issue one of belief in John chapter 10, where he says, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. This is the differentiation between those that are sheep and those that aren't. It's the issue of belief. Those that do not believe are not Christ's sheep. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So you become a, a sheep, one of the Lord's sheep by believing one of Christ's sheep, by believing. True believers are God's sheep. And the evidence of truly being a sheep of Christ is that we follow him. It is followers who give evidence of knowing the Lord is my shepherd and thus having eternal life. Well, David says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which is to say, I shall not lack. Now, want is a sense of lack here. God, as a faithful shepherd, meets all the needs of his sheep. That is the overall responsibility of a shepherd. That is to take care of the needs of the sheep, whatever they may be. Now, we as sheep are not self-made people. We don't provide for ourselves. We don't take care of ourselves. It's the Lord, our shepherd, who provides for us. He gives us our daily bread. That's why we pray to him. Give us this day our daily bread. He meets our every spiritual need. Now, we should note that God has promised to meet our needs and not our wants. That's why I think it's better translated here uh, in verse 1. I shall not lack. I shall not want. People want all the time. <laughs> you know, their, their wanters are, are insatiable sometimes. But uh, we shall not lack. Our needs are whatever our Father deems necessary uh, to bring glory to Him. You see, we're here for God's good pleasure. And having that perspective changes everything. 
Sometimes people act as if God is there for their good pleasure rather than us being here for his good pleasure. Uh, You see, God is God, and he created us for his purposes, for his glory. We serve at his good pleasure, and he meets all of our needs to that very end. As Paul would say, that Christ would be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, Philippians 1.20. That is the end goal, and with that goal in view, God meets all of our needs. He gives us grace in every situation, and his grace is sufficient. Uh, Just a few promises here in the New Testament. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all the necessities of life, shall be added to you. And then in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul has this assurance as he's sharing with the Philippians that God shall supply all your need. If it's truly a need, God will provide it. And if he doesn't provide it, then we don't ultimately need it. And yet he wants us to ask, showing our dependence upon him. And when he answers, we want to say thank you and thus bring him glory. Uh, I have uh, recently got a book. You know, my wife, she scored high here, you know. It's, it's kind of hard to know what to get me for my birthday. I had a birthday here about 10 days ago. And uh, she got me the perfect birthday gift. Uh, this is uh, titled, A Good and Faithful Servant, The Life and Times of Professor uh, John C. Whitcomb, uh, who is my mentor. Uh, his son has written uh, this uh, book in his honor, 500 pages about his life. I love this book, but one story uh, from the book, I haven't finished it yet, by the way, but I'm working on it. But uh, in uh, the 60s, way back in the 60s, in the 1960s, his, his first wife was dying of a rare disease. And as she was in the hospital, the family's resources dwindled to nothing. Uh, this is on page 20 in the book. His son is sharing this story, and I'm just summarizing it. But John called his children together and he said he needed $155 that very day to pay a debt that was due. And he said, we need to pray about this, children. And uh, so they prayed. And that day when the mail came, John opened an envelope, raised his eyebrows and said, God has answered our prayers. In the mail was a note from an old student saying that earlier in life, Dr. Whitcomb had loaned him $155 and he had somehow neglected to pay it back. But now he had remembered and he was sending it in the mail. And uh, that very day it came, uh, $155. In the letter was a check for the exact amount that he needed to pay that day. They got in the car, they went down to the bank and they paid off the debt. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Green lush pastures are a picture of abundant provision. And still waters are a picture of wonderful drinking water, plenty of drinking water. Uh, You see, sheep don't like to drink from gushing water. Uh, they, They want the water still. In fact, they refuse to drink from gushing water. And so the divine shepherd leads his people to exactly the right place where they won't be agitated, where they can peacefully partake of the, of the still waters. That's the picture here. Uh, Warren Wearsby says here, 
The word translated leads in verse 2 means to lead gently. You cannot drive sheep. So he gently leads us into these, these wonderful rich places of, uh, to eat uh, the green pastures and the, beside the still waters where they, could, where they could water. What a beautiful picture this is of the kind of shepherding care that the Lord provides for his sheep. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Uh, sheep often need restoration. Uh, for example, if a sheep gets rolled over on its back, it cannot get up on its own. You know what it needs? Restoration. <laughs> uh, left in that condition, the sheep will die. You say, well, it's, it, just roll over, you dumb sheep. They can't do it. Sheep are very needy. Well, David, making application, speaks of how the Lord restores his soul. Often we get rolled over, so to speak, and are in need of spiritual restoration. And as we look to the Lord for restoration, he is faithful to revive us, to pick us up and put us back on the path again. He restores my soul. And then he leads us in the paths of righteousness. Uh, The Lord's leading is always good. It always is in right paths that are for our ultimate good and His glory. It's only when we go our own way that we go astray and are, again, in need of spiritual restoration. And God works this way in our lives for His name's sake, which is to say for His own reputation, for His own glory. When we follow the Lord and His leading, it brings Him glory. And that is His ultimate purpose in shepherding the sheep, so that he might be glorified in the path that we take. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, David at this point becomes very personal. He changes from using the personal pronoun he to now saying you. He is no longer talking about the shepherd, but to the shepherd. This is very personal. You know when God becomes very real and precious to you is in the scary times of life, in the context of the shadow of death. Now, we're all human. We all have fears and things that uh, unnerve us. In those times, we need God's special shepherding care. The valley of the shadow of death is literally the valley of deep darkness. The language shadow of death occurs about 20 times in the Old Testament. Uh, The Holman Christian Study Bible has this note. It is clear that it implies intense darkness that represents extreme danger. Darkness fits this specific context since it, it is in the darkest valley where the greatest danger, such as a predator, lurks for sheep. So, The idea of the valley of the shadow of death here represents a a terrifying place of great danger. But note where David finds his comfort in this dark and scary place. It's in the fact that the Lord is with him. Here is the imagery of God being right beside him. Not before him in this case, but, but right beside him. Right there with him. It is knowing the Lord is right there with him, guiding and leading him through this dark place that shields him from fear. 
Note he anticipates walking through this deep, dark, scary valley. He knows that God's presence is going to see him through it. What a comforting reality. There are all kinds of terrifying things as we, as we go through life that we face. And then we come to the cold place of death itself. But in each case, even if death should prevail, still God is with us and will see us through to the other side. We have his promise reiterated in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never leave us. Dr. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, was talking, and uh, I want to get to the end of his application here, but uh, he was talking about the security that we have in our fellowship with the Lord, and he said, a man walking along the deck of a ship might fall. His fall might hurt him, but it wouldn't be the same as if he fell off the ship. A believer, when he sins, falls on the deck, but he is never lost overboard. Christ has seen to it, said Barnhouse, that no wave... Not death or life or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come or height or depth shall ever sweep us off the deck. Fellowship is forever. How true that is. Uh, there's a German doctor by the name of uh, Dr. Helmut Renner, uh, who is a believer. He's a cancer specialist. And Dr. Renner often orders as a prescription Psalm 23 for his patients. That seems like a novel idea. Uh, he says cancer patients need to find hope. And part of the prescription is Psalm 23. And of course, that's true for everyone, as everyone, whether they realize it or not, and whether it's in place today or not, is, is probably facing some scary things along the way. Scary things abound in the world, after all, right? You have thugs that might abuse or murder you. You lock your doors at night, right? Yeah. Uh, you have inflation that might starve you, although most of us don't look like we're quite there. Uh, you might have COVID. You might get COVID that could kill you. Uh, and there are fear mongers live on TV and in the media. They're everywhere. Fear is everywhere. Ah! Things to make us afraid. They're everywhere. Where do we find refuge? Well, there is only one safe place in the world, and that is in the Lord with his shepherding presence. With the assurance of his faithful presence, we can rest easy. There's nothing, nothing that can touch us without first being filtered through the sovereign hands of God. So with the Lord as our shepherd, we never ever have to face anything alone, not even the shadow of death. I love this little verse. You can memorize it. It's an easy one. Psalm 56, 3, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. That's a great verse. We're all human. David was human too. He knew what it was to be afraid. You say, well, I am, I am strong. I never get afraid. Liar. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that. Uh, we're all human. We're all frail. There are all times we are afraid. What do we do with that fear? That becomes the issue. And God's presence is not passive, but rather active. You see, God has a rod, and he has a staff, which is a comforting reality for the sheep. You see, the rod was a club that the shepherd carried. 
was often an oak club with a, a large knot on the end. This thing could do some damage. This would be used to stun, wound, or kill a predator attacking the sheep. Here God is pictured as our protector. And he's got a rod. Stands ready to protect us. And beat off people, people, (laughs) anything that is trying to attack his sheep. Uh, The staff was a crook that was used to guide or rescue a sheep, for example, that had fallen into a ravine. So there's a, a picture of the, of the staff or, or the crook. Uh, with a great two-pronged approach to ensure the safety of the sheep, God stands there to protect his people. He has a rod to ward off predators and a staff to rescue and guide. The Lord is able and ready to do whatever is needed for our protection and safety. Now these are instruments of comfort. They comfort me. It's comforting to know that God has in his hand a rod or a staff, whatever is my need. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's an interesting phrase. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Now some think the imagery at this point changes from that of a shepherd to that of a host, and that, that is possible. But I tend to agree with Warren Wearsby that the imagery of shepherding continues throughout. Uh, Warren Wearsby says, The word table is sometimes translated feast. This table doesn't necessarily refer to a piece of furniture used by humans, for the word simply means something spread out. Flat places in the hilly country were called tables. And sometimes the shepherds stopped the flock at these tables and allowed them to eat and rest as they headed for the fold. God prepares a table right in the very presence of the enemies of his people. In the night, as the wolves were circling around, the shepherd has prepared a place for his sheep where they can feast right in the presence of their enemies. It's as if they were in fellowship with each other as the sheep and with the shepherd. What a beautiful picture of God's abundant care of his people in the context of a hostile world that would like to destroy us. We feast on God's word and his fellowship right in the midst of enemies that are circling around us. It's a beautiful reality. We feast on life and that more abundantly right in the very presence of our enemies. In spite of the threat of the enemy, God takes care of his own and that in abundance. The anointing of the head with oil is a a picture of soothing refreshment or medicinal treatment. If the enemy happened to get a lick in, the good shepherd is there to soothe and to heal. If in the struggle we are weary and discouraged, he is there to refresh us. Oil in the Bible is consistently a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Applying the analogy, it refers to the comforting, refreshing ministry of God's Spirit. And then he says, his cup runs over. It's a picture of abundant refreshment that more than meets our needs. God is, grace usually goes further. doesn't just meet our needs. It's abundant. For the thirsty sheep exhausted in the struggle, the shepherd would have a two-handed cup filled to overflowing with water by which he would serve the sheep. And then he says, verse 6, to finish out this, this little psalm, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful verse. Uh, Goodness is defined by God himself. He's a good God. He's a sovereign God, but he's a good God. I'm glad he's not a bad God. What would we do about it? (laughs) Uh, He's a good God. And good is in contrast to bad. God is good, and his goodness is his blessing. This goodness of God is always pursuing us. In God's working in the lives of his children, all things ultimately work together for good. This is the goodness of God. God has an overarching purpose of constantly working for the ultimate good of his people. That is for our ultimate benefit. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? This follows God's children all the days of their life. His goodness is following us. When adversity comes, we can rest in the truth of God's goodness. His good and sovereign purposes are at work. And they are working for our ultimate good. I love this little verse, Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. Trust in his goodness. He's got a good purpose. Even as uh, we get older in life, God's got good purpose. You know, we're breaking down all the time, right? The older you get, the more you get broken down. And and as I always say, that last mile is a hard one. But God's got a purpose in it all. I think the, the more we break down, the more dependent on him we are. It, it humbles us. God's got a good purpose. And then he says at the end here, uh, surely goodness and mercy, and mercy shall follow me. Mercy is that rich Hebrew word hesed. This is one of the most precious and special, meaningful words found in the Bible. It's often defined as loyal covenant faithfulness. Uh, you know, we love to quote Lamentations 3, 23. Through the Lord's mercies, that's the word hesed. We are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your hesed. Your loyal covenant faithfulness. God is always good working for our ultimate benefit, and he's always faithful to his promises. These truths pursue us with unfailing intensity all the days of our lives. The word follow is an intense word often used of an animal in pursuit of prey or of a warrior in pursuit of an enemy. But here it's used in a good sense of God's goodness and mercy intensely pursuing us hot on our trail all through our life. And the conclusion of the matter is that God's shepherding care, which so wonderfully and faithfully sees David through the whole of life, will eventuate with him dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. That's a great conclusion of the matter. God's shepherding care ultimately results in the greatest blessing of all, which is to live intimately in God's presence forever. This is where we're headed. Revelation 21, 3. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the ultimate experience, to live intimately with God. Well, this psalm is a song of David and is a testimony of God's 
faithful care. But here is the connection I want to make tonight as I have entitled this uh, the Messianic Psalms series. Although this psalm does not specifically mention the Messiah, it does speak of the Lord as shepherd, which is directly applied repeatedly to Jesus in the New Testament. All the shepherding promises made to God's people are ultimately fulfilled in the one who is the great shepherd of the sheep, as it says in Hebrews 13.20. All the shepherding imagery in the Old Testament ultimately ties in and finds ultimate fulfillment in the Messiah Jesus. What a glorious reality is the shepherding care of our God, which is found in Jesus. Psalm 23 has been called the most beloved of the songs of David. It's certainly one of the most beloved because it emphasizes God's unfailing, faithful care of his own. You know, I love Romans chapter 8, which concludes with, Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That's the emphasis here of Psalm 23. Nothing will separate us from the Hesed, from God's loyal, faithful covenant commitment. Nothing can separate us from his care. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not emphasize that the greatest thing Jesus has done for our ultimate care is to take care of our sin problem. He's the good shepherd. What did he do for us? Well, he says, I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? Uh, The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This is what Jesus, the good shepherd, has done for us so that we might have a personal relationship with God through him. This was the ultimate act of caring. J.R. Littleproud outlined Psalm 23 in this way. The secret of a happy life, every need supplied. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The secret of a happy death, every fear removed. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The secret of a happy eternity, Every desire fulfilled. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How wonderful that the Lord is the shepherd of all his children. All made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. And so what can we say but thank you, Jesus, for being our good shepherd, for being the great shepherd, for being the chief shepherd. All right, let's, start, let's close there. Uh, let's have our closing hymn, and then I'll close this in prayer tonight.